I gotta tell you, Joe, I don't think anybody's panties stand a chance oh, around man. you. Oh, man. You know, I don't know. If you have my panties in that deck. Not yet. Not, oh, Ooh, how'd no, that look? son of a bitch. He made there it, it fly okay. right out. So there's, there's like the sleight of hand expose, but... um. <gasps> History, I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History, I'd like to frankly, I want to know. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. This is season two of Hilf, History I'd Like to Fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. And it was an incredible break. I spent 16 glorious days in Italy with my family. Went from Venice to Florence to Rome to Amalfi. I mean, truly gobsmacking history under every footfall and around every corner. And I can't wait to tell you about Pompeii. (laughs) But I will have to wait because that Pompeii is a future episode. This episode, our first hilf on the docket is the legendary magician Harry Houdini. Houdini was assigned to me by my friend Joe Brogy, who is a comedian and a voice actor. He's Maddie on Nickelodeon's Beat Buds Let's Jam, and up until COVID, a regular performer at the prestigious Magic Castle here in LA. And I, full disclosure, am a huge fan of magic. I love it. And as you heard, uh, Joe performs some tricks for me while we record. Um, And he's good, man. He is so good. And I was completely blown away. But you are not going to hear that because magic just doesn't translate very well onto podcasts. And so you'll have to go online to see Joe do his thing. And you'll find links on our Instagram at Hills Podcast. And hey, while you're there, okay, follow, like, share, rate, review, all that stuff. We really mother Hilfing appreciate it. But now relax, pull up your seat at my kitchen table with me and Joe and say the magic words. It's the most fun thing ever. Like, dream come true. I mean, that's why I came out to L.A. originally was to go do the voices, you know? That was your first, that was your draw? I mean, that was like my, like, I because I was doing magic, you know, for 10 years in the Midwest. And that's all I did for a living was touring around doing magic and doing, you know, Midwest shows, corporate events, private parties. And, but I had a love for, for voiceover and I like came, would come out to L.A. and like do classes and stuff. And I'm like, but how do I do this from Nebraska? And they're like, you can't. You must come out here. And that was all, you know, back before the dark days of the Corvids. Uh, you know, yes. before now. How Everybody's long before? Doing... How, when, what um, was the year you moved I came out? out like, I, came, I started coming out in like 2017 or 18, I believe. And so, so what not was super it? Long. What was holding you in Nebraska? I mean, how did California well, I don't not know if wrap you her know. beautiful arms around you from the very beginning? I don't know if you know the slogan of Nebraska, but it's the good life. Mm, no, I don't know that to be the slogan of Nebraska. <laughs> that is. What I know about Nebraska yeah. is that it's a pain in the ass when you're trying to drive uh, from Minnesota to Las Vegas. It just sits there you, and fucks up your drive. You don't mean you don't like like seven hours of the same thing over not and over. particularly i'm literally like working on a bit right now about nebraska mm. and it's not even a bit because i'm not doing anything that isn't ha- hasn't been said and made up because it, the slogan is and was nebraska the good life that's the real slogan and then it changed to <laughs> nebraska nice oh and even minnesota was like nah uh-uh yeah. Because we're Minnesota nice. Oh, really? Well, then we weren't that for very long because then, this is true, they changed it to Nebraska 
Honestly, it's not for everyone. No, they did. No. <gasps> they did for a hot minute. I think oh, for like that a was year. Brave. Yeah, they, oh, Nebraska. It's not for. And then it went back to the good life. Oh, see yeah. now that see, see a little flicker there. Yeah. I was like, go oh, on, Nebraska, be yeah. you. Like that, yeah, yeah, I yeah. respect. And you mentioned you're a magician. Yes. You're, you, and when we say magician, mm-hmm. there's lots of ways to. But oh, I do a magic trick or two. Right, but our right, friend right. Joe, mm. this is his job. Mm-hmm. He appeared on Jimmy Fallon, although you were beatboxing on Jimmy I was. Fallon. And there's lots of fantastic videos of Joe doing incredible sleight of hand close-up uh magic in hot tubs with oh, babes yeah. where, and, and oh full disclosure for for those of you listening joe's a babe oh well, joe's thank a you. top shelf mega babe oh my goodness so i want you to picture joe top shelf mega babe in a hot tub with a several uh female mega babes coming on this and podcast already, every week and they're and they're already like oh joe oh that's hitting and they're like oh, that's not, oh what is he doing and then the a trick, card trick oh, and yeah. then the trick happens and their they, their hair blows back and i'm thinking to myself this guy joe broke he's got it all wow he's got he's got all these credits he's a great ma- magician he's so handsome and then i find out that you have decided to try doing stand-up comedy that's right yeah and that confuses me joe Brogan. does it why why because I don't know. It's probably because I don't sing or dance. Uh huh. You know what I mean? And so I see someone who can sing and dance, and uh-huh. then I wonder why they bother uh-huh. doing other. I think, why you do other. What? You know why what it is? Why would you come and do this? I think it's because I think magic has always been just a gateway for me to perform in general. Mm-hmm. And I think. I've just always loved making people laugh more than anything. I think that's really what I like to do. And it's a challenge for me because it scares me. I'm like, well, I got to do it then. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. I mean, do you I'm, I'm find new to it. that there are <clears throat> crossover skills? Jokes and magic are kind of similar because there's a punchline hidden somewhere at the end, right? And you don't want them to see it coming. And then you want to hit them mm. with the punchline. And right. that's kind of that's kind of the prestige of magic as well because you've got something and you and you're making it blah 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 disappear or whatever your thing is and then pop like when when you actually make the magic happen. That's kind of what a joke is as yeah. well, right? Oh, I just think it's so cool. So- it's so fun. Can you tell me why you chose Houdini? It's the one thing that I'm like, you know, I should know more about Houdini as a magician. Like, I know kind of like baseline stuff. Like, definitely not enough, though. I've, uh-huh. I've kind of, I kind of always feel about this way in in everything that I do. I guess sometimes you always have this like fraud feeling of like, well, I'm I don't know enough compared to these like historians that or these magicians that like they've poured their lives in the history of magic. And Houdini for sure was is you know uh, one of our godfathers of performers uh you know and i just uh, he's cool well i can't wait i'm gonna tell you first of all about the sources because i went in to houdini somewhat cold as i said he's this the guy book. in the straight jacket he's hey, the guy right he's the guy the yeah. black and white photo of yeah. the guy in a straight jacket yeah. yeah he's got kind of boofy boofy hair yeah <laughs> um this book is called houdini um the career of eric weiss by kenneth silverman and as you can see this is it's hefty a, considerable tome you kind of flipped through it i'll hand it to you there's pictures that i've marked with the yellow post-its if you want to take a look at some of my favorite images um in there it's pretty great this is great it is cool and then i listened to um a portion of this fantastic podcast um called stuff you should know and it's by these two guys josh and chuck it's been along forever it's been around Mm -hmm. since 2008 it's fantastic and they just do a really great treatment on houdini i watched a couple of documentaries one from 1999 called the greatest 
Houdini, okay. and they talk to a bunch of Penn and Teller and, yeah. a, and a bunch of modern and contemporary magicians who are still doing a lot of Houdini's illusions mm -hmm. and stupefying people as he did over 100 years ago. Yes. Um, another documentary made in 2021 by a guy named Alan Davis. Okay. And this documentary is particularly great because he sees a bunch of the artifacts. David Copperfield is a huge Houdini fan and has in his theater in Vegas like a ton of artifacts. And big like, collector. Big collector. Yeah. And he's in this documentary and talks about a bunch of stuff. It's very, very cool. And he like this documentarian goes to Coney Island and like hangs out with some like sword swallowers and stuff that oh, doing yeah. stuff that Houdini yeah, would have yeah, seen. Yeah. It's very, it's a cool documentary. I love it. Um, so uh, here is, here's my plan okay. for our Houdini episode. Yes. All right, for you, Joe. Mm-hmm. In my sort of unscientific survey, since you and I talked about doing this subject, mm -hmm. kind of asking people, like, what do y'all know? What's the general knowledge yeah. about Houdini? Yeah. Seems to be two things. One, not just that he's a magician, but that he is the greatest of all time. He, right? He's the, he's to magic what Shakespeare is to plays, what Einstein is to science. His name okay. is a shorthand. You definitely, know what I mean? Definitely. Somebody yeah. jumps out of a thing. Oh, hey, Houdini. You know, yeah, we just, yeah, yeah. we get it. And then it felt like a lot of people know how he died. Do you know how he died? I do. How? Well, you won't the, give anything away. The, it's okay. A, a appendicitis of sorts mm -hmm. is 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 or uh, getting punched in the stomach. You uh, said a mouthful. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Appendicitis <clears throat> of sorts. Mm -hmm. He got punched in the stomach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are the mm -hmm. keywords. And at the, his peak. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was huge. And that seems to be what everybody knows. What I want to do for this episode is I'm actually going to start with Houdini's death. I want okay. to start with that, the part that everybody knows. Because after doing all of this motherfucking research on the guy, mm -hmm. taken together, that is kind of all, like that tells you sort of the whole thing of Houdini. It's like they're the most quintessential parts about Houdini. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of cinematic to start at the end. Let's do it, and, definitely. And, you know, this is... Sometimes you gotta fuck history from behind. Okay. I think you understand. Let's get to it. It is October of 1926. Okay, this is where we meet our, our buddy Houdini. He's at his peak. He's as famous as he's ever been, and all indications show he's just gonna continue to be widespread. He's internationally right. famous, he's very rich, and he's already starting to look for some way to continue to do his work without getting so goddamn hurt all right. the time. Right. It is physically yeah. incredibly strenuous, and he's uh, hurting, and he's feeling it, and so he's doing stuff. I mean, like, he, this is this is what late late uh, or early nineteen twenties, thirty, or what yeah, year is it's, it? Here? It's nineteen twenty six. Nineteen twenty six. He's so, fifty two. That's like what one hundred fifty years old back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, let's be fair. Yeah, that's a I mean, very good point. I mean, he's and in dog up there. years, yeah, 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 and he's a short guy, so yeah, yeah. I think you have to factor short people age 100%. faster. No, yeah. closer to the ground. It's Absolutely. A fact. And what he really wants, what he's starting to focus on, even though he's still performing all the time and drawing huge crowds everywhere he goes, mm -hmm. he's just turning an eye to getting some apprentices. His okay. legacy. And what he really wants is to start a school. Oh, wow. Like fucking Hogwarts, man. No a way. magic school, an accredited university-style school for magic, where you would be trained in things like how to do it and ethics and wow. science and all of the things that go around it. And he could sort of be a part of founding a legitimate legacy for the performance of magic. That's sort of his dream. All of this to tell you that he's very into speaking to young people, mm -hmm. talking to crowds, and like keeping this eye right to the future. So he's on his North American tour, and at one point in one of the cities, he's doing the Chinese water torture, 
which I'm, which I'll describe in more detail later, but he's hoisted up by his ankles and there's something twists and he breaks his ankle. It's not the first time something like this has ever happened. Yeah. It sucks, but he does the show. He completes the trick. Oh God. And he just kind of walks with a cane, like splints it himself, finishes the show and does uh, the thing. How BA is that though? Just like, <laughs> get me my cane. Oh, I know. I finished the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's limping and he's feeling yeah. it. The next city, he's invited to speak at the university, McGill University, to the medical students okay. in psychology. Because part of what he's going to be talking about <clears throat> is how this psychology plays such a part in what he does and right. how you psychological uh, effect of the person who is both giving and receiving. It's all very interesting. And one of the guys, uh, Samuel Smilovitz, okay. one of these students, is sketching a picture of Houdini. Because okay. he's a, a part-time yeah. artist, right? Yeah. And it's a good sketch, and his buddies love it. So at Houdini's show that night, they give it to him backstage, mm-hmm. and Houdini's like, oh, that's great. You know, why don't you tell your buddy that I would like very much for him to come and, uh, and, and do another portrait for me? Uh-huh. And keep in mind, Houdini is a movie star. He's right. famous. He's one of the yeah. most famous people on earth. I'm like, oh my God, Houdini, what's up? Yeah, very right? honored to So Samuel Smilovitz comes down, sits in Houdini's green room, and, his, and Houdini, as we said, broke his ankle. He's not feeling so great. So for the sketch, he's laying sideways on a couch with like his arm kind of behind his head, and he, he and Samuel are talking. Okay. And Samuel's buddies, a couple of them, very stoked that he's there, come and join him for various periods of time. At one point, this kid named Jay Gordon Whitehead comes okay. in and he's a medical student at McGill and he's very stoked to see Houdini. He's a big fan and he's kind of a big, big guy. Uh-huh. Everyone who describes him is like, he's tall, his clothes all seem too small. Okay. <laughs> he's gotcha. just kind of a big dude. Yeah, yeah. And Samuel likes him. He's his buddy, but he's annoyed because Jay Gordon Whitehead won't shut the fuck up. He's just talking too much. And where he's sitting, he's sort of sitting behind Houdini. So every time Houdini answers him, he's like turning mm-hmm. and effing up his pose right. for this sketch. Oh, okay, okay. At one point, Jay Gordon Whitehead asks Houdini, is it true that you can take several punches to the stomach and not feel any pain? Mm. And Houdini says, yes. Jay Gordon Whitehood jumps to his feet and before Houdini can get up, just punches him as hard as he can six or seven times from above. While, as I mentioned, Houdini is sort of laying down on his side. He's on the couch still? Yeah. Now, by all accounts, including Houdini's own... He was sort of about to get up and accept the challenge. Okay. And he, Houdini puts his hand up and says, that'll do. Oh, my God. Lays back down, is, yeah. is hurt, and is yeah. sort of obviously hurt, yeah. but doesn't demand an apology or kick yeah. anybody out or yeah. show any kind of anger. The, uh, Samuel Smiley finishes the sketch. Wow. And they leave. These two guys leave. Okay. And Houdini gets on a train. Mm-hmm. The next day, Houdini's feeling well enough. He does a show, but it's not a great show. He sits down a lot. Okay. Gets on a train, goes to Detroit, and on the train, the pain gets so bad that they call the doctor to meet them in Detroit. And they're like, we got to get to Houdini right away. The doctor says to him, buddy, you got acute appendicitis. You're in big trouble here. Oh, jeez. This is the part of the story that I call Houdini's last chance to escape. This is the last moment. Mm-hmm. That if Houdini's not going to die of appendicitis, That's right now. he has to make a different choice in this moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he chooses to go and do a show. Mm. It's opening night in Detroit. He doesn't want to miss opening night. He does the show, which is actually not that bad. Okay. Okay. Apparently, it's they can tell he looks weak. He sits down a lot, but it, it's, it's an okay show. Oh, he's a professional. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the show, the pain is so bad, he collapses. The doctor's like, buddy. Mm-hmm. You need to go to the hospital right now. Yeah. They perform surgery to remove his appendix, which has ruptured. Okay. They don't get it all. The infection has spread. He has sepsis. His fever goes up and he dies on Halloween, 
1926. Now, here's what we know. Since then, it was discussed that punch did not cause the appendicitis because punches don't cause appendicitis. Okay. You can punch, you can cause all sorts of internal damage, but a Hard ruptured appendix isn't one of the things you can do with brute force. Okay. So if we know that that punch didn't kill him, mm-hmm. then what it means is in the order of things, Houdini was going to die of a ruptured appendix on Halloween 1926, whether Jay Gordon White had ever punched him or not. And on the one hand, you can say, okay, but Jay Gordon Whitehead still sucks. And you're like, he's still kind of a dick. That's fine. And they say, and he still caused his death because if Houdini had, had felt this appendicitis pain and had not been punched, maybe he would have been more alert. So he was associating the pain with like getting punched. Maybe, yeah. And he's so. thinking, I just got punched. I can't yeah. handle this. Okay. I don't buy that. Because when the doctor says, you have appendicitis and need to go to the hospital right now, he does not go. So there's no reason to think right. that if Houdini had just thought he had appendicitis, he would have rushed to the hospital and behaved in any way counter to hmm. what he does. If anything, Jay Gordon Whitehead dropped him a little lifeline there. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're, if you're going to be saved from this impending appendicitis, maybe it's because you got punched in the stomach six times and you're a little bit more nervous about it. In any event, the question then is, so why did Houdini die? <laughs> then what actually made a guy ignore a ruptured appendix. Yeah. Despite what his body is telling him and his trusted friends and his doctors. Is it because he believed he could escape? Mm. He really, truly believed he could escape this thing, death, whatever it was. Or is it because he knew the one thing that is not a trick and that you cannot escape ultimately is death? But death doesn't happen on stage. It happens in hospitals. Mm. That's the place where he can't control what happens. And that was why he was so incredibly reluctant to go to hospitals. Ah, interesting. We don't know. I see what you're saying. But what I want to try to do as we move ahead is to just find out who Houdini is and try to find how we get to this point where this brings the best magician that's ever been down forevermore. Um, Before we go on, do you have any questions, Joe? Um. How, how long was he in the hospital for? Do we know that? Like, like two days. He, he had in, one okay. surgery yeah. and then was brought out yeah. and was doing okay for a minute. They actually yeah. said they did some like emergency serum that, okay. that had him like, which I, we still don't know what that is. Yeah. He bounced back for like 24 hours, but then the mm. fever went up again. He had another surgery and he ultimately whispers to his brother, I'm tired of fighting. Surely oh, no before he way. Dies. So it's only a couple days. Jeez. Our friend Houdini uh, is born in Austria-Hungary, in the 1870s, comes to the United States in, uh, at the age of four, which is the age of my daughter right now. Mm. So I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you'd remember that. Mm-hmm. And he's on a boat with his mom, his three older brothers, and his sister. They're coming to meet his dad, who has already moved here and is living in Appleton, Wisconsin. Okay. Mm-hmm. And his dad is a rabbi out there. And all the historical accounts of Houdini, unfortunately, say a failed rabbi. That's the only way to describe Houdini's dad. A failed rabbi. A failed rabbi. How, Rabbi. how does that happen? I, it's it's the question I, I've sat myself down to answer, and it really just is. Uh, you have to be pretty pretty boring. Yeah. And like any religious order, the rabbi, the leader, is there for your births and there right. for your deaths and there for. And yeah. if you are just really uncharismatic, yeah, and can't connect with people, yeah, then your congregation is not going to continue to pay your salary. And he can't. And he's moving around, and they're begging. And at and at one point in Houdini's youth, as then of course Eric Weiss. He's begging, and what he learns is, if you do a little trick, you make more money. Mm. 
So very early on, he's just sleight of hand, card tricks, hiding balls, and he's still begging, but he's making better money. Yeah. And Hustling he's, with style. Uh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At nine, he's imitating tight walkers in the park, and he's calling himself Eric Prince of the Air. Prince of the Air. Prince of the Air. God. I know. By 12, he's doing card tricks, sleight of hand, magic. Ultimately, his family moves from Appleton to Milwaukee to New York City, and that's where he starts to meet the uh, freaks and performers of Coney Island. He, okay. he hears, you know, he's moved to New York, and his dad and everyone's struggling, and he just, like, hears there's this mecca of, like, people like me, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Show, you know, vaudeville. They're doing shows. They're contortionists. They're magic. And he just learns. And he learns things like the guy with no arms teaches him how to manipulate things with his feet. Wow. He just learns and he listens and he gets all of these fantastic tricks and tips that he frankly innovates and takes with him for the rest of his life. And he also meets a girl. Okay. Tale as old as time. Tale as old as time. Yeah. She's 4'11", so she makes his 5'5 five five look practically wow, huge. Yeah. She's a singer. She's a performer. Where is she from? She lives in Coney Island, too. Uh, I don't know a lot about Beatrice's life prior to meeting Houdini, but she performs with her family, also from a very modest background. And she's good on stage. She's not super charismatic, but she... It, immediately they join up and they connect their act together and they're doing for five or six years they're on the sh- small time circuit mm-hmm. and it becomes fairly clear to Houdini this is it mm-hmm. this is kind of as far as we're gonna go here okay so he innovates the handcuff escapes and he just starts to do never before seen handcuff escapes okay and this catches the attention in St. Paul Minnesota of a guy named Martin Beck who comes and sees him do it and is impressed. And Mm -hmm. Houdini is starting to ask the audience, bring me your own handcuffs. If you don't believe me, bring me your handcuffs from home. This isn't, this isn't trick handcuffs. Right. And, um, and so this guy, Martin Beck sees the thing and and is really impressed, goes and gets a couple and comes back a couple nights in a row with various types of handcuffs and, and Houdini can get out of them fast every time. And Mm -hmm. he offers Houdini a job. He's like, Mm -hmm. buddy, you're ready for the big time. And he's his ticket. Houdini and Bess are making more money. They're doing fewer shows. They're they're staying in better cities. They go to Europe. I mean, huge. This is like 1904, 1905. They go to Europe for the first time. Wow. Their their one trick that had really gotten their attention in the United States was called metamorphosis. Yes. Do you know this trick? Of course. Tell me, tell us, tell you. I want to hear you describe it. So, because this is like, you know, growing up, it, like being obsessed with magic, like you, you would see the clips, like the, you know the the early videos of, uh-huh. of Houdini and stuff, and, yeah. and the metamorphosis trick was was the one that. I and was this like, was oh. when he invented. He created <clears throat> he created the device. He was sort of an engineer. Yeah, he had so, innovated some other stuff. But yeah, tell us what it so, looked like. So essentially, uh, his assistant, and I, I believe he he would use Bess and his brother as well mm-hmm. to do when they started this trick. Is um, they would tie him up. Uh, chain him up and all these chains and then put him in a bag and then drop him into a trunk, a big trunk. And they had a sort of um, like a curtain, like they had like a little, uh, like a frame that had a curtain um, that, that the trunk would be kind of right behind. And uh, the assistant would be standing. So they'd put him in the trunk, lock them all up, lock the trunk up. They'd stand on top of the trunk. They'd close the curtain. And in like two seconds, they'd unclose the curtain. And Harry Houdini would be on top of the trunk, freedom. Uh, and then they'd open up the trunk. And then the assistant was tied up. And, and it was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And they yeah, could do yeah, it yeah. in two seconds. And one of the things they did to build the suspense is they'd clap. So she would be standing on top mm-hmm. holding the curtain and be one, two, three. The curtain drops. And he's now replaced her 
on the thing. It's amazing. Incredible. It's still... Go Google it. It's, it go Google <laughs> it. And you know what? There's this great group called the Pendragons. Yeah, you know, the Pendragons. of course. They did Metamorphosis even faster than Bess and Houdini did. Yeah. So that was their first World's huge World's Greatest hit. Magic 4, I believe. Oh. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but that like I remember them doing that Incredible. trick. Incredible. It's so cool. It's so cool. So and, cool. Um, and, so, and you can imagine... If it's still wowing us in 2022, in 1905, you just Definitely. your head explodes. Insane. Completely the insane. Spirits. And by the way, <laughs> I want to tell you now that I am not. Um, well, I might. I'm going to reveal a couple of tricks, but only the ones who Dini ex- yeah. revealed. I'm not going to reveal most of these because um, I don't want. If you don't want to know, then I don't want to tell you. I will tell you though where to go if you want to see them. Okay. It's Gizmodo.com. Yes. There'll be a link for it on our website. If you really like, yeah, I love magic. I don't think that this is sacrilegious at all. All, then I'm very pro-choice. You can yeah. go choose, but I ain't going to be the one to divulge necessarily. Yeah, I think because some good. people don't like. Yeah, some people don't want, want it. It's ruining the fun yeah. or whatever it is. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's a good call. It's a good call. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so his handcuff demonstrations were like the level up, the next thing. So he gets to Europe, and he's like, "Houdini's here," mm-hmm. and Europe's like, "We don't know yeah. who you are." But? So his first exactly. <laughs> so one of the first things Houdini does is go to the first local police station. Okay. And in his showman, big public style, he says, mm-hmm. put me in any one of your handcuffs in any one of your jail cells, and I will break free. Wow. And by the time he was out, which of course he did, he broke out of every jail, he broke out of every set of handcuffs, he has now created whatever is necessary yeah. to sell out, you know, the what rest of his show. Genius. Like marketing genius. Completely. And his marketing yeah. genius just... Yeah. Keeps. I mean, he always has such a, a an understanding of not just individual psyche, but sort of mass right. psyche. Yeah, and how 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 word spreads and like and and the marketing building to lore. building challenges. So commercial collaborations. So for example, one of the yeah. most famous is the Daily Mail challenge. Okay. So the Daily Mail newspaper in Britain hears about yeah. hears about Houdini's exploits and challenges him to break out of a specialty pair of handcuffs that they guarantee took five years to make by a blacksmith who says no one will ever be able to break out of these handcuffs, and it's this incredible challenge. Houdini accepts, of course. Huge public display, and um, and he's having a very difficult time. He's not coming out of them quickly. He asks at one point, can I take off my jacket and just start over? I'm hot. I can't. My jacket... And they say no, because they don't want him to see how they take him off. They're like, there's probably an advantage in you just seeing us take them ah, off, that you okay. figure something out. So no, you can't take your jacket off. Wow. So he, with his hand still handcuffed, gets a pen knife and cuts his jacket off with like his mouth with this pen knife. And they're all watching him? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, he does occasionally go behind the curtain to do the work of it, but some of, when he comes out and is like, you know, he can come out whenever he wants, okay, but when okay, he's okay. working on it, he's yeah, behind yeah, the curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does finally get out. It takes over two hours and he is heart bleeding really? and hurt, but he does get out and he successfully completes the challenge. His name is made, okay, yeah. because of that. He is now an international sensation. He's in his early 30s. He's made it. He's rich. I love how, though, like the audience back then, it, like it's so not the TikTok audience of like ten seconds. I don't have any more time. Two hours. I'll I'll sit here and wait the two hours for this man to do this thing. It's like yeah. it was almost instantaneous. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. amazing. And you can imagine like if it was TikTok, somebody would be coming out in front of the curtain and being like, yeah. "Do you want to click here for yeah. five ways yeah. to make cake batter at home? Wait for how long it takes to get out of handcuffs." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. We're like yeah. hang in there. Oh, look at yeah. that! I see hearts. I see hearts from Cincinnati. Yeah. I'm seeing hearts from yeah. Cincinnati. Oh my god. Yeah. 
A better so, time, perhaps. Exactly. Um, but then, as all of his tricks, the same thing that you're going to hear happens again and again. He gets, uh, he gets really good at it. There's imitators. He's got to level up, right? Mm -hmm. so, so he still is doing handcuff escapes, but then he starts, the brand new thing is the straight jacket. Yes. And the straight jacket escapes. Mm -hmm. And um, he goes to prisons, just like he did with the, with the handcuffs. He goes, he presents himself to asylums and to prisons, and he's like, put me in your straight jacket, the ones that you use here, and I will get out. And he does. Every single time. Sometimes so fast that, you know, they barely lock the door and they turn around and he's standing on the jacket. I mean, sometimes wow. it was truly like yeah, yeah, yeah. insane. And there'd be an imitator, somebody else that could do it. So Houdini would do it hung by his ankles from a crane in the center of town. Then, wow. then he started getting hung upside down in front of newspaper offices. So that uh, if they weren't sufficiently covering him or yeah. his tour, they would literally just stick Jeez. their head out the window and take a picture. And yeah. And he would challenge other magicians. If other magicians started doing his trick or he started to catch wind that they were suggesting that they were in any way like them, mm -hmm. he would challenge them. One famous one is, is a magician named Boudini, B-O-U-D-I-N-I. -I. Wow, creative. Exactly. Yeah. Who had been doing this handcuff trick. And uh, so Houdini challenges him to jump into the river from Battery Park and to get out from the handcuffs while in the river. Whoa. And Houdini does it in a minute and a half, and the other guy almost drowns. And no Houdini's way. like, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you, wow. You aren't shit. Wow. Um, it's amazing. Um, and he does these big, free public demonstrations, and he's also breaking out of jails, and he's breaking out of prisons and straitjackets. And it seems, uh, again, to tap into the American consciousness, right? Mm. Nothing can bind yeah. you. Nothing right. can control you. You can uh. break free from everything, even yeah. though he's not selling that. Right. It seems to be kind of creating part of the lore. His next big trick is the one we talked about, the Chinese water torture, which is, um, so he's, he's shackled by the ankles. Yes. Hoisted up and then dropped headfirst into a glass box. As they just had back then. <laughs> exactly. And you can see how cool, like it's backlit, right? Yeah. So the audience is seeing him underwater. His eyes are wide open. His hair is kind of swishing around. His palms of his hands, you know, are planted flatly against the glass. And, he, and they would also often say to the audience, hold your breath along with him. See if you can mm. hold your breath along with him. Then the curtain drops and the audience would just build. All of a sudden, there is just this writhing people are gasping yeah people are clutching yeah. their pearls people are doubting even the people who are suspicious are on the edge of their seats i mean it's yeah. just a sea of people in physical and mental torment just waiting what a way and to they build start up to adrenaline scream. too yes. right and the adrenaline yeah. they start to scream he's drowning he's drowning you know and the assistants would be helping with this like you know chatting back and forth and trying to look like oh my god something's gone wrong and then the curtain drops and he's soaking wet and he stumbles out and sometimes he'd even collapse you know. Oh, wow. And the audience would go crazy. I mean, yeah. it was crazy. He also is a movie star. When Vaudeville started failing, he was one of the first to jump into film. He, he was like Charlie Chaplin doing movies all the time. He owned a motion picture company. He was, get this, the first to fly an airplane in Australia. In Australia? And the, fir do the first? It, he was the first. He was in Australia all the time. He bought this plane in Britain. He was fascinated by it. He um, had an yeah, aviator. planes were... Totally brand new. new. The Wright brothers, there were aviators that were doing much more significant things than he was. Yeah. 
but he was doing it for the first time in Australia. There were Australians that were trying to race to see who could fly first. And Houdini worked his ass off. Yeah. He, he learned he would wake up at the crack of dawn and drive through the mud and get, early from sh- get up early after a long night of shows yeah. and, and spend all of this money. His dedication to what he set his mind to yeah. was completely unwavering. And, uh, and it is so, so fascinating. I'm just picturing like Australians like looking up in the air and seeing the planes. And like, that's Houdini up there. Cause he was probably already famous, right? I yeah. mean, I don't know if he, I mean, I don't know how much word had spread to like Australia at that time, but that's like cool to like, oh, it's our first plane in the air. And it's like this movie star, this Harry Houdini that we've yeah. seen. It Incredible. was huge. And he was being compelled to come to Australia because Australia, God bless him, it's really far away from everything. Right. So Australia had to sort of sell you to come all right. the way out there. Yeah. And he didn't like to go to Australia because his mother was still alive at the time. He is incredibly devoted to his mother, Cecilia. She is the love of his life. He has photos of him with Bess, his wife, and his mother, Cecilia. And he's written on the top, my two sweethearts. Wow, and he is utterly concerned about his mother all the time, and he he felt like Europe Mama's was a little boy. too far away from her. Yeah, her, yeah. Mm-hmm. Australia was way too far away from her. So for him to come to Australia, they were like, they paid him his full show rate for every day that he was at sea. Wow, and he was like, you know what? I'm gonna get my plane when cool. I'm in Britain. I'm gonna bring my plane over to Australia. And I'm gonna be the first to fly a plane in Australia. This was just wow. what he had, and it was also a publicity stunt. It was yeah. going to help market him tremendously. Of course. He really wanted to do it, and he did loop-the-loops and stunts. He did it a few days in a row. Crikey. He, he went against terrible weather. He almost crashed. I mean, he did some great escapes in the plane <laughs> itself. He loved flying so much that he said at one point, I'm going to retire from magic and oh, just really? focus on aviation. Wow. And because it's kind, of, it's, like, it's kind of magic. Totally, right? like, totally. What a new concept of like, wow, we've got this machine in the air. It's, it's all, it all ties together very well. Completely. Houdini was simultaneously able to like see everything that was magic and everything that seemed magical. Mm. And that just was his arena. You know, even film, like there were so many stage performers that were immediately out of hand, like, I am of the stage and this new medium is to be, you know, a threat and to be disregarded. And a lot of his bosses for vaudeville were punishing performers that did film. Really? And he was like, because no, it was, this is it was the ruining the ruining the, the industry. What, what kind of stuff did he do in the movies? Was he just escaping from things? Or he was... played, well, he wasn't a great actor and they were silent okay. films. We don't get sound in film until the year after he dies. Okay. And that's to his credit because there's one recording of his voice, David Copperfield has it, uh-huh. and it's kind of a high squeaky um, yeah. Hungarian accent. It's okay. hard to understand him. Um, so he was always playing a character. Uh, and his stunts, uh, kind of Buster Keaton-esque, his gotcha. stunts and his sleight of hand and stuff would play into a plot and yeah. play into a storyline. Some of them were pretty good. Some of them were pretty bad. People didn't care because it's like, oh, those pictures are moving up there. Let's yeah. watch it. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. And he also <laughs> loved it. One of the things he saw in it right away is that he could do a trick once. Mm-hmm. And it could be seen right. without him having to put his body through it again and again and again. Ah. And so even if he saw that there might be a diminishing return for how much he gets paid each time he does it, it can be shown so many times. Right. He, he saw a mutual benefit. There. Right. Yeah. Notoriety exponential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so, so we're going to take cool. a break. When we come back, um, I am going to tell you uh, my favorite part about this Houdini history and why I went from like crushing on Houdini Mm -hmm. to hardcore love, love affair. Cool. Can't wait. (laughs) Hey there folks. Wisconsin drunken history podcast is your weekly dose of the dairy state. 
All Things Wisco with your hosts, Eric and I'm Russ. Be sure to tune in each week to learn more about the state we call home. We feature Wisconsin history, music, culture, and of course, beer. Of course, beer. <laughs> Do check out Wisconsin Drunken History. It's a great podcast from my home state. Also, a reminder that if you're a history nerd like me and you're hankering to get your hands on my sources, the books, the links, the documentaries that I reference, you can find them in the written description of this episode, which is available on almost all listening platforms. And if you don't see them, go to at Hills Podcast on Instagram and... If I just rub it like that, see how it changes like that. Jesus. Just rub the hand on it. I'll go like this. See, you don't, you, you won't even see it that time. See how it just goes. No, <laughs> Joe. It just goes. Now the thing is, obviously, I'm cheating in some way. Of in course fact, you are. We'll do it. We'll do it across the way so you can see. You can see your signature is still on there. Yeah. Uh -huh. In fact, could you, for me, just reach over? You push all the way in. Sure oh my God. It He's got mouth. it in his okay. mouth. One last time, one oh last time. So I can feel where the cards are, um, obviously. So I can feel. Like I got to tell you, Joe. I don't think anybody's panties stand a chance oh, around man. you. Oh man, you know, I don't know. If you have my panties in that deck, not yet. Not. Oh, Ooh, how'd no, that look? Son of a bitch! He made there it, it fly okay. right out. So there's, there's like the sleight of hand expose, but um, <laughs> we will. Uh, I'm gagging. And in a good way, and like RuPaul gagging. You know, it's just it's just one of those things that you you spend a lot of time. I think I think Teller said uh, any uh, magic is spending more time on one specific thing than one would reasonably expect. Mm. Like yeah. look at that. Like I spent like I spent uh, an unreasonable amount of time playing with those cards to get it to look like I could like it was just effortless, right? But yeah. it's the same thing with technology. It's the same thing with anything. Sure. Like you do, you spend enough time at a harmonica mm. and it becomes magic what you can do with it. So how much time, I mean, I know you've been doing this your whole life. Yeah. So some of it is going to be hard to calculate. Yeah. But how much time does it take? I mean, hundreds, thousands of, I mean, hundreds of hours at least. I, I, I don't know the, so one time I, I thought about how many cards have I picked up in my life from the ground. And I, that kind of blew my mind when I think about mm. it because like, Especially when you're like for and still to this day, if you're trying to do something new that you haven't done and you're gonna drop the cards and that's like there's something about literally picking it back up and doing it again mm. and then they fall on the ground and mm. you do it again and you and sure. like I would have like blisters on my hands in high school from for like sure. from like gripping cards and like doing certain things and my hands would bleed and mm. you know, Houdini <clears throat> had to have surgery on his butt. Oh really? Because getting out of the straight jacket, mm -hmm. which he did in front of a curtain required him pulling that tight strap out from under him at the end. Like when he finally did it, there's a strap that goes between right, your legs. Right. But he did it so often that he developed like a, a boil, like a really, really bad blister on his butt that eventually had to get, Lanced had to have surgery. Wow. Be, and this was similar, that just repetition, repetition, yeah. repetition, yeah. repetition. And that was yeah. just one small way that it had sort of Jeez Louise. affected his I mean, body. That guy, yeah, that guy was on a whole nother level. Like, I mean, I think you can only compare like people like David Blaine, who mm -hmm. also has just done crazy things to his body. To crazy things amaze. to his body. And this Alan Davis documentary, one of the ones I referenced in the beginning, mm -hmm. one of the things he does is he goes to visit David Blaine's doctor. Oh, yeah. And he says, you know, I know a lot of this is trick. 
Right. But some of it is mind over matter. Is this individual magician just doing something that your average human body cannot do without this sort of training? And the doctor said, oh, yes. Yeah. Their bodies are machines. And Houdini never drank and never smoked yeah. and ran five miles a day yeah. and would immerse himself in ice cold water and hold his breath longer mm. and longer. Because a lot of his stunts, he would jump from bridges into public rivers right. and stuff. And he had it's to not... be able to do it in the cold. And Jeez. Crazy. Yeah. A devotion to your craft that... I will never have. <laughs> and it really does bring us, Joe, I think perfectly into this second part. Now, this aspect of Houdini's life was completely unknown to me. I didn't know any of this stuff. And I talked with some folks, you know, again, unscientifically since I've been reading, and nobody knew this about him. And so I'm really excited to tell it because okay. I would like this to be a part of the things that we talk about when we talk about Houdini. So post-World War One. Okay. World War One lasted from 1914 to 1918, and it was uh, awful. Mm -hmm. And it was the first really modern warfare. We had chemical warfare for the first time. We had trench warfare for the first time. Airplanes are dropping bombs on people for the first time. We have these awful contraptions where it's basically two cannonballs connected by barbed wire that you just shoot oh simultaneously, God. and they cut everybody in half. This is no longer walking with a bayonet. Right. across an open field. Right. War has changed. And it came at the beginning of the Spanish flu. I mean, it's just a devastating time. And uh, Houdini found that it disrupted his European tour a little bit, <laughs> right? <laughs> Imagine. Right? But other than that, it, the war's over now, things are back, and he's getting back. And he's noticing, because he's always keyed into imitators and competition, that there's this new thing, this new element uh, on stages around him, mm -hmm. and they are spiritualists mm -hmm. advocating for spiritualism, mm -hmm. which is, let more generally, psychics, uh, paranormal activity, seances, mediums. Mediums, yeah. exactly. And it really starts in upstate New York in 1848 with the Fox sisters. Like we can pinpoint the first quote-unquote spiritualists, they claimed to be able to communicate with and for spirits via tapping that no one could explain. Unseen, invisible forces would be tapping on various surfaces and walls, and people were like, well, holy shit. That was not that new, <laughs> right? Anyone who listens to my episode on the Salem Witch Trials or whatever, people had said they heard voices. Right, Joan of, of Arc course. said she heard voices. Like, the idea that you were saying, I see and hear a spirit realm was not invented in 1848. Yeah. What's new in 1918 is how much people want to believe it. Mm -hmm. For all the reasons I just said, they, everyone's dealing with this whole new loss, not just the devastating grief of having lost family members to these diseases and to these wars, to having witnessed this horrible, gruesome new page in like human uh, warfare. Right. But we have radio now and these invisible we we are telling each other there's magnetism and um invisible forces that can ah. affect things and move things yeah. so it's just not that much of a leap right to believe that this brand new radio signal that we've just invented is picking up the voices of the dead otherworldly yeah people were like maybe this is we of don't course. know listen we didn't know shit about any of this yeah. stuff yesterday yeah all of a sudden all this magic exists and yeah. it can and it can be explained why not this now totally but what houdini is seeing and what he's bothered by is they are doing exactly what the magicians have always done these quote unquote spiritualists and in their seances he no, he sees this for what it is which is sleight of hand 
distraction, trickery. magic, and trickery. Mm-hmm. And he and it and that isn't new either. In the circus, he even pretended to be a fortune teller for a hot minute. He did it like once. Okay. And he of course was excellent at it. Yeah. And hated it. And he said in his diary again, long before this time, he was like, Mm-mm, "I don't like it. It's not for me." Because he saw people cry, yes. become very invested in what he said, attach themselves immediately to the believability of his divination, and it felt like a lie. Yeah. It felt like a con. And he he's too much of a showman to say at the end, "Ah, never right, mind." Right. That he was like, "Ah, just not for me. I'm not yeah. going to do it." And what he saw happening now was deliberate deception people conning people out of money using their grief using their desperation to believe to follow these these lines and he was seeing the tools of his trade used for this stuff and he didn't like it but he's also he's a cynic but he's open to it right he's also like maybe convince yeah tell me more if you can convince me that this isn't the same shit i've been seeing for the last 20 years yeah maybe and so he develops a friendship with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes. You know about this. I do know about this. Okay. It's so cool. It's so cool. But I, I, I want to know more, so okay. continue. So Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, is the author of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. He is Sir. He is highly respected. He is a literary genius. People mm-hmm. are very, very impressed by him. And Houdini, if he feels like a fraud, okay, if he ever feels like he snuck into a party and has a little ego bruising, is that he's uneducated. He has a Hungarian accent, and he never went to school. So he tends to feel humbled in the presence of anybody that he considers elite and educated Mm. and literary. So it's it's very meaningful to him to have a real friendship with someone like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Right. And um, Doyle is a true believer in spiritualism. Yeah. I mean. (laughs) Isn't that so interesting? He's a zealot. Yeah. Real. He doesn't do it. He does right. not pretend to be right. a, a medium or a psychic, but he tits first into every proposition that comes before him. He believes it's better than Christianity. He was he was like, this is better than Christianity, you guys, because there's proof. Because wow. here we've all been following these right. divinations of this invisible spiritual realm with nothing, with no right. tangible evidence at all. And now we can finally truly believe in things right. that can be demonstrated Proof for us. Proof is in the pudding. And, well, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> so, so he begins a correspondence with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and, and is very transparent. I don't know if I believe this. I'm a complete cynic. I'm going to have to be convinced. Mm-hmm. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is like, great, let me help you do that. Okay. And he gets him into hundreds of seances. Okay. And Houdini... Over in England? In England and in the United States, they both travel a lot back and forth. And Houdini doesn't believe any of them, catches, believes he sees the trick in all of them, but is being respectful. He simultaneously doesn't want to offend Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and and be like, you know, every time they leave the room. Yeah. Also, he's still walking that line of like, magicians shouldn't tell... Of course, right? right? And he also doesn't want to get kicked out of these things yet. Right. So he's like, yeah, okay. Um, and, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle constantly like, can you see that? And, and Houdini would do little tricks, little easy sleight of hand, and Doyle would be like, you basically are a god. Like, you are a spirit harnesser. And Houdini would be like, no. No, here, look, this is what I'm not. I'm telling you, you're really easy to fool. Is what I'm telling you. Like, I'm trying yeah. to show you how yeah, easy yeah, you yeah. are to fool. Yeah. And just like none of it worked. Doyle introduces him to this amazing couple. They're called the Zansigs. They're Zansigs. a married couple. Okay. Their bit is she blindfolded, sits in a chair, and they, you know, all the ways to verify that she cannot right. see anything. Right. He then moves through a crowd, touching various objects and people. 
And while blindfolded, she describes in yeah. startling detail the items that he's touching, the people that he's so seeing. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's in their purse, all right. sorts of crazy people. <gasps> oh. And so Arthur Conan Doyle kind of presents this to Houdini as like, see, yeah, no way they could be doing this. Right. And Houdini is like, well, uh, Zanzig and his wife are actually members of the Society of American Magicians, Sam, and they talk about not being mind readers and how they wow. do their stuff all the time. Like you are wrong, Mr. Doyle, Mr. Doyle, you know, and even then, even when faced with evidence like that, he would say, well, okay, so they're maybe using secret symbols and secret sing- signals when their powers are low. Oh, wow. He wanted it. Wanted it. Needed it. Then this is the, the where the falling out really hits the skids. Okay. Doyle and Houdini are buddies. Their wives are buddies. They're hanging out together at the Ambassador Hotel in Atlantic City, chilling on the beach. You can see pictures of them. They're having a fantastic time. So Arthur Conan Doyle says, kind of, you know what, Harry, we're done. All right, I'm going to prove it to you once and for all. My beautiful wife, Lady Doyle, would like to do an automatic writing seance with you, proof today. Let's go. And he says, Bess, his wife, you can't come. Because you and Harry are both cynics, and if I have two people that are cynical in there, it's going to mess up the spirits, so just Houdini does Energy's off. We can't have the energy be off. So Houdini's like, okay. So they go into the parlor. Lady Doyle is blindfolded, has a huge sheet of paper, pens and pencils. She goes into a trance-like state, right? She's now communicating with the spirit realm, and her hand is writing. Okay. Kind of like like a Ouija board. Right. But she's just sort of like the spirits are speaking through yep. me, moving my hand and, yep. and writing. And she very quickly says, Harry, I'm in touch with the spirit of your mother. Okay. I've mentioned you don't fuck with Houdini's mom. Right. Okay. Cecilia was yeah. the love of his life. Right. When he found out she died, he collapsed and fainted. Oh, jeez. But he's also, like I said, ready to believe. And he closes his eyes and concentrates. Now, this guy can hold his breath for four minutes. <laughs> I believe that if anyone can really get their brain into a state where they can communicate something to someone who is ready to receive it, I would suspect it would be yeah. Houdini, right? And she draws a cross on her paper, the sign of the cross. Okay. And then all of this, my dear sweet son, I love you so much, my dear sweet son, and all of these things. Okay. At the end of this hour-long free automatic writing communication with Houdini's mom, Doyle says, and he left quite moved. In reality, Houdini's pretty fucking mad. Okay. Because his mom is Jewish, just like him. Right. And didn't speak English. There is uh, no reason why she would start with the sign of a cross. So now And it's then start personal. babbling. Yeah, and he's just, he's really put off by it. But he also is still not wanting to, like, piss off. And he's always right. said he was a cynical and he didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. But he does go home and write... I don't, I've seen a hundred seances and I don't believe anything. And he starts to out deliberately out these spiritualists because I think he's experiencing like when people have grief and people want to believe he's, he's feeling the real con and the depth of the con. And, and also I think frankly, not so much upset with his friend, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, but upset that spiritualists have so duped such a good soul as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle mm-hmm. to, to have have so fundamentally believed this stuff. Right. Great magic trick. But stop <laughs> telling people you're talking to God. And stop telling people that you can hear their dead relatives for a thousand dollars. You'll tell them where the gold is buried and like whatever else you assholes are doing. Mm-hmm. And he starts to write more sort of enthusiastically about how this is a fraud. 
Um, at which point, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is like, hey man, uh, Houdini is writing like he doesn't believe any of this stuff. So let me just tell you that I was there when Houdini talked to his mom, okay? So he says he doesn't believe it. That's bullshit. I was there when he saw it and he does believe it. Oh, no way. At which point, Houdini has to very publicly say to the world and his friend for the first time, nah, mate, you wow. fucked up that day, actually. Yeah. And the idea that my mother would make a sign of the cross and write in English was preposterous. And I didn't believe for a second that you were speaking to my mother. Mm-hmm. And Doyle was like, oh, well, she doesn't write what she hears. She's writing images, what she's feeling. Like she's just receiving messages in like non-language. And then, she, right. you know, and the cross, she draws a cross on everything just to keep the demons away. And, oh, God. You know, but yeah. again, and Houdini was like, okay. And just, yeah. but they start to have this real public back and okay. forth. And they're, not only does their friendship fall apart, they're adversaries now. Whoa. I did not know that. To the point where Houdini assembles a committee with a Scientific American magazine okay. to prove once and for all that the spiritualists are all cons and all mediums are lying to you. Mm-hmm. $2,500 prize, which is like $20,000 yeah. now, almost $30,000 now, for the first person who can prove a psychic photograph. There had been lots of photographs claiming to catch ghosts over right. people's shoulders yeah. that were the double exposures and all mm-hmm. of this. Or an objective manifestation of a physical character, i.e. actually moving things okay. or proof that you can do this. You get $2,500 for anyone who can do one of those two things. Mm-hmm. Produce some ectoplasm, maybe. Per- exactly the really? kind of thing. But, here, but yeah. here are the rules. Okay. One, you to win this money, you have to state the phenomena you intend to do in advance. You have to say, here's, I'm going to summon this spirit. It's okay. going to be about all the circumstances in which you're going to do it. You need to be down with it being recorded and scrutinized. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, a five-person panel, including Houdini, he was the only magician, would all have to unanimously agree that it was legit. Wow. To win the money. Okay. So all these people start well, of course, coming out right? and doing stuff. Now, Marjorie is my favorite. Okay. Marjorie is this young, hot wife of a Boston surgeon. Okay. She calls... She sounds hot. She's totally... She's totally hot. I mean, there's a lot of, like, not a lot of lady magicians, and they all yeah, have to be hot. 100%. I think all magicians are hot. Is that fair? <sighs> yeah. Okay. I was, I was hoping <laughs> At some it. level yeah. or another. At some level, you got to be able to be like... Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. Bit. yeah. So, uh, so <clears throat> she calls all of her college friends into this room, and the first thing is it has to be pitch black. Okay. No light of, at all, which is already kind of suspicious to some of them, but they're like, all right, you know, your, your spirits speak right. to you, you in do your you. manner. <laughs> yeah. And in this pitch darkness, she, everyone sits in a circle. They hold hands, and they touch each other's ankles and feet so that you know if anyone moves any hands or any feet. Okay. And in this way, with everyone holding hands and feet, she would be able to make bells ring, make the table lift and shake. A uh, record player behind her would turn on and off mm. all, all of these manifestations. Okay. And she's good. She's so good that all of the other people on the panel and all of the other testers have like been there, seen it, and they're like, I don't see any way this could be a fake. And they're about to give her the money. And you said it's pitch black in there? They turn off the lights? Completely pitch black. Okay. And Houdini hasn't been, he hasn't seen this yet because he's been on tour. But he mm-hmm. hears that they're like, nope, we did it. We found someone yeah. and we're going to give her the money. And Houdini's like, hold the fuck on. Mm. I have not seen it yet. Yeah. So I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> Houdini gets down to Marjorie and he, first thing he does, Joe, 
is he wraps his knee in rubber bands all day. Okay. So that when he is seated next to her, and he insists that he's next to her, his foot and his the bottom of his leg are super duper swollen and very, very sensitive. Whoa. So that he can sense any movement from her. Okay. Um, and he does. And he says, I felt her move her foot. Yeah. You know, she could kind of keep one part of her leg kind of touching me, but I could tell she was maneuvering her foot around to okay. get to that so bell. So he sat directly next to her. Yeah. And okay. he's like, we're going to have to move that bell further yeah. away for me to believe that yeah. this is not her moving her leg. So yeah. they do that. Oh, and then she insisted her husband be on the other side of her, holding her other hand. Okay. And he was like, mm-mm, because he can let go of her hand right. or be doing other things. Right. And I don't buy it. And they were like, no, yeah. he's a co-medium. He's right. also a medium need, and he can't let go him. or he'll break. So they're like, all right. But he's still like, and he then gets someone and he feels her, he feels her head under the table at one point. He's like, she's pushing it up with her head. She's been sneaking down, like all this stuff. And he, and wow. every time they're like, no, no, that's not how we're doing it. And he's like, well, then we have to do it again. Like, I'm not buying this. Right. Mm-hmm. So then he builds a box. He's like, I will believe it if you can do it from in the back. She's like, well, I have to be able to continue to hold the hands of everyone. So he like develops a way for her to be able to stick her hands out of the box, but she can't lean forward. She can't get out of the box. She can't move around. Maybe. Was there a picture of that? I thought. Um, Anyway. Yeah, I think so. Oh, was it this one right there? Marjorie. Yeah, Yeah, there she is. The Marjorie cabinet. The Marjorie cabinet. (laughs) And Houdini can feel her doing something or other in there. And he says, because he's able to do this out loud in the dark, he says, she's trying to get something. There's something in that box with her. Yeah. And she's trying to get it. I suspect it's like a folding ruler or something. Okay. Because again, he knows, you know, there's like a thing you can extend it right. and she'd be able to get it out that like face hole and she could still touch the buzzer or like touch the things that she needed to touch to set off the wow. mechanisms. Houdini's like, the bottom line here is that I don't buy it yeah. and you have not convinced me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she says at one point after he adjusts all these things, no medium could conjure under these circumstances. And Houdini says, bullshit. Strip me naked. Your surgeon husband can search me head to toe and I'll do it right now. Wow. In this box, however you want. I'll do it right now. He'll do the same thing. I'll do what you I'll do what you said you're gonna do. I'll do it. Wow. And she gets very nervous, as do the rest, and, and he, she says, What would that prove? And he said, It would prove you could do it with tricks. Mm-hmm. That's what it would prove. Yeah. She doesn't agree to let him do it, and he's going to go do his show that night, and she's like, he's fucking on to me, right? Yeah. She pulls him aside and says, I don't want my son to read that I am a fraud. And he says, then don't be a fraud. Yeah. And she's still pretty sure that he's going to go on stage and do something that's going to discredit her. Right. And she says, if you go on stage and you misrepresent me, my friends are going to come out and they're going to give you a beating. (laughs) And he says... I will not be misrepresenting you. Mm. And no, they won't. Wow. What <laughs> I, a when badass. I read, dude, Joe, when I read this in the book, I was like, I'm a feat. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, he's so badass. Okay, so he basically says to the committee, so I've disproven it. Right. She doesn't get the money. Nobody does. Nobody's done it. And they're still slow. They're not saying she didn't do it. They're not saying she didn't win the money. And this committee is going so slow. So Houdini comes out in Boston. Mm-hmm. is like, fuck them. You know what? Yeah. New challenge. He's standing on the steps of the Boston City Hall. Okay. He has $10,000 in bonds. The amount of money this is to people is yeah. unbelievable. Bonkers. And I will give $5,000 to Marjorie and $5,000 to the charity of her choice. This is on December 30th, he says this. I'm doing two shows, January 2nd and January 3rd, right here in Boston at Symphony Hall. Yeah. She is welcome to come to 
either show. And if she is able to manifest in the way she says she can, I will give this $10,000 to her. And if she doesn't show, I'm going to put on a show that displays all of her methods. Cool. <laughs> okay. I love it. First night, you can imagine the suspense. The first night by 745, the place is packed. Wow. And the suspense, will she show? Will she show? Will right. she show? She does not show the first night. And he demonstrates it all. And not only does he demonstrate it, he has, for example, you know, sitting across from the table and a member from the audience, and he's doing all the tricks. And the audience can see how the individual on stage has no idea what Houdini is doing. And they, from the audience perspective, can see everything. He, for example, has a metal plate under the floor and a metal plate on his shoe with like magnets. So the idea is that if we're both touching ankles, mm -hmm. my shoe stays where it is, but right. I can pull my foot out. Mm -hmm. Cut the back out. And it seems so simple and it completely reveals her. She does not win the prize. And from that point on, he is a crusading anti-spiritualist. Anyone who is claiming to actually hear the mm -hmm. voices of dead people, mm -hmm to be able to divine the future on behalf of anyone, certainly for a cost, he is, he is there. And he is hiring spies, usually fellow magicians, Jeez. to go across the country and break up these mediums and expose these mediums. He himself gets into it to a disguise so that he can sneak in. And you can see in the book, that's, there's some pictures of him like, in disguise. He makes jokes. He says, you know, I'm not a medium. I'm well done. He says, this is not me being anti-religion. He says, any other minister has to study for 8 to 18 years. To be a minister in spiritualism, you need merely say, I hear voices. Mm -hmm. We first met Houdini at the top of the podcast. He's yeah. touring North America. He, I told you, he's 52. He's distinguished. He's looking to the future. And his show every night is Magic Escapes exposing spiritualists wow. it's a three-act show and he does a whole act exposing not just mediums in general but the local medium whoever he finds or whoever right. he's he's heard of and he just duplicates their their acts wow but when he was on his deathbed mm -hmm. in that hospital on the day before halloween in 1926 and he said to his brother i'm tired of fighting mm -hmm. he also pulls his wife bess down and says if anyone can communicate from the grave, I am going to try. He left her a code, a very specific code only she knew so that she would always know if it was actually him or not. And he That's said, I'm so going to cool. do everything I can to try to communicate with you. And if I don't give you this code, you can tell everyone forever. It can't be done. And she went to a seance right after his funeral. Mm -hmm. And she went to seances again repeatedly, often on Halloween, on the anniversary of his death. Yeah. And after repeatedly never getting the code that he had given her, she declared spiritualism a fraud definitively. Wow. And that is where we are to this day. That is so cool. And people still on Halloween, man. Yeah. They still, every year, try to summon Houdini's spirit. Yeah. And, uh, you can go to the castle and do that, I believe. Now, you castle. are a member of the Magic Castle. I am a former member. I have, I, during, during the Corvids, mm. I, uh, I, I, did uh, stop being a member, but I uh, I need to. I need to what get does back it in. mean? What does it mean for a magician to become a member at the Magic Castle? Um, you have to go through some tests and stuff. And have you been? Yes. Okay. Have you been to the Houdini room? 
Oh, I... There's a Houdini seance room. Oh, that shit. I would have remembered if I was in there. No way. They've got his stuff. It's pretty cool. Like uh-huh. straight jackets. I think they have a milk can. They've got his shackles uh-huh. and some straight jackets. And I've never I've never done the seance, but you can get a group of friends. This would be fun. We should do this sometime. Yes. Get a group of friends. You yes. have dinner there. And they bring a, a medium in <laughs> and they try to contact Harry Houdini. Well, Joe Brogy, I have had a blast this with you today. This has been so fun. I am so grateful that you came. I am so grateful for the magic. And uh, uh, Houdini, wherever you are, <laughs> thanks for all Thank the magic, you. man. Cheers. This was fun. Thanks again to my guest, Joe Brogy. Please follow him and get your chance to see him perform whenever you can. Thanks also to Kat Perkins and Eric Warner, who wrote and performed my theme song. Fucking love it. (laughs) And also, before I go, if you do go to a medium this Halloween, which why not? What a blast. Uh, Please have fun and pay them, but do so because they're excellent entertainers. Be awed by their display, their sleight of hand, wonder how they did it, and then ultimately take back the disbelief you suspended and applaud the show. Do it out of respect for Harry Houdini. This has been Hilf History. I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. 